You're listening to the Deadly Uncle Podcast. A safe space for Deadly Uncle Conversations. All right, next we have Teddy Many Wounds from Satina Nation. Now, Teddy, he had an interesting upbringing. He went to school on Satina Nation, then he went to Calgary, and then after high school, he moved to New York and he became involved in fashion and stand-up comedy. Now he's a lawyer that deals in constitutional law. Awesome guest and really an inspiration. Yeah, so stick around. Great episode coming up. Of course. So, uh, Teddy Masike, many wounds. My mother's from Six Nations Mohawk. My dad is from Sutsuna Nation. Um, both lineage on both sides, very uh, heavy in spirituality. Unfortunately, they also both suffered the residential school trauma, as most of our ancestors and elders have. Um, I grew up on Sutsuna Nation and went to school on the reservation until grade nine. And then in grade 10, I switched to the city schools, um, which was such a heartbreak for me because I really wanted to take my uh, scholastic career at a young age all the way through from the schools that we built. Um, I was when we moved out of the trailer schools in Sutina Nation to the beautiful schools we have now, I was the first grade of the first grade in that. And so to me, it meant a lot. Unfortunately, um, like a lot of our education systems on, on a lot of our reserves, they didn't have the proper requirements that I thought I needed to gain entrance into the university programs that I was aspiring to. So I went to Beaverbrook um, and I took Spanish and calculus and all of these high level courses to get gain grant me access and gain me entrance into places. Um, and then I took a year off after graduating and went to Switzerland, which was really, really fabulous and got to stay in a castle and just experience a lot. I did fall down a mountain though. So it's you know, <laughs> hot tip. Whoa. If you're, if you're not from the lands there, don't wear a white suit and stand on the edge of a cliff. You just like, that was just, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm a person of the land. I should have knew that. Um, alas, upon returning, I, um, I moved into the city of Calgary out of my dad's house at 19 and then went and attended Mount Royal University where I got an associates in bachelor or associates in business administration. Um, I was working for the time for administration on suits in a nation specifically as the housing manager, um, very young. And it was just, it was a very, very quick introductory into the administrative side of our reserves, which was, uh, it's an entirely different uh, outlook and aspect of just existing in the business of of things as it would be now. Um, that that was I didn't really see a landing direction for me there. So with two hundred and forty dollars, I moved to New York City and lived in New York City for ten years, um, wow. where I studied fashion design at Parsons and and I was able to have a multitude of careers from working on Madison Avenue to nightclubs to New York City Fashion Week. I had my own label for a while. Um, I was a stand-up comedian for five years and wrote jokes that I sold to different late-night talk show hosts, et cetera. Um, yeah, just, just really taking advantage of, uh, as I always say, or something my grandmother always said, you know, you have to take a thousand percent of the shots that our ancestors were never afforded to. And so every opportunity that was ever afforded to me in New York City, I not only took, but I, I, I tried to make that mine, if that makes sense. Um, I met my partner 10 years ago. And uh, we we started building our own businesses together. I moved out of fashion from burnout and went over to the Museum of Modern Art in New York City, which was such an amazing experience to even just be able to work in an institution like that um, and, and meet really awesome people. In fact, one time I was ringing out the rock 
Rockefeller family and they were just all in like cotton tea. Like they look like a family waiting for like an Indian taco. Like they didn't look like this like <laughs> Chanel, Louis Vuitton waiting. Like they just oh. like, they, they looked like they were waiting to, you know, at the powwow, just, you know, a couple of white people in cotton trying to enter. And then when they sent me their membership and it was like in platinum and I was like, oh, you guys actually own the museum. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> Anyhow, um, I, I left that and moved to North Carolina for a little bit where I worked for Nordstrom um, and was picked up my own designs there. I designed for a thing called Condom Couture, which raises money for Planned Parenthood in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, so I did that and that was a really, really great experience. From there, um, wasn't there very long, moved over to Denver, Colorado, where I was a, an office manager for Save a Tree, which is a tree care company. Uh, that really wasn't going in the direction that I wanted it to go. So I left that. I uh, didn't have a direction, so I ended up working as an operations manager for Spice of Life, which is the largest catering company in Boulder, Colorado, which let me explore the entirety of the state. Um, during that time, though, I didn't, again, have any sort of landing or direction, so I hired a tutor to get me into law school, which uh, subsequently did lead to a success in that. Um, then pandemic hit, and I ended up back to the nation, mainly because my dad called me and said, you're not uh, coming like this isn't you're coming home like you're coming home where i'm gonna come get you um so i was like all right let me get on the plane and get the hell out of here um and it was it was and it was great because when i came home um suits nation and all of our nations especially after the life that i've been so privileged to lead i feel we are we are at a precipice of a zeitgeist and change when it comes to the possibilities and the individuals who are not only willing to pay attention to us, but when you are able to bring the best of yourself to those tables and those front doors, I think then you're able to actually enact and make some kind of change. And from that, um, keeping that perspective in mind, uh, I applied to direct a justice table, a justice protocol table under G4, which is the nations of Sutana Nation and Sony Nakota Nations. Um, from my background of understanding legislation, I had, a, I had a very steady understanding of what it is that the work plan was demanding of me. When I held my first sharing circle for women, that's when it became quickly apparent that justice what justice looks like for our people, what our people are needing, is far different from a work plan or an operation manual or any sort of high-level government documentation that can ever be set forward to us because everything we're needing hasn't been necessarily developed yet in a way that is, in a way that's white, in a way that's on paper, in a way that's a document, in a way that's codified because we aren't those people. So um, I've worked super hard in 2022 to um, meeting individuals like yourselves and and really paying attention to the elders, to the men, to the children, to the women about about what is needed. You know, something that was very, very apparent to me quickly when I started this job was everyone wants to come and tell us, even even amongst ourselves, we all want to tell each other what we need, what should happen, what, you know, you can't tell me that. And I, when I when I was in this room full of these women who were sharing just a, the raw honesty, it, came, it quickly came apparent to me that in this first year, I just need to shut up and I just need to listen. Because I actually have, as as worldly, as traveled, as educated, as as the person that I am and able to show up as for myself, that doesn't matter here because the it, our people, they don't, they don't need that. Our people don't need... Um, 
I, I always say, a well-dressed white woman. As I always, when I first entered into a, um, <laughs> the sharing circle, I came in and I was like, sorry, everyone, I'm used to playing, you know, cosplay rich white woman in New York City, whereas it's funny, but it's not, that's, that's not what we need. That's not how we yeah. need, that's not who we need. Um, and, and, and it led me here today amongst all of those variations of travels and that brief summary of my life that, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm able to, to listen and um, in this next phase, start applying. No, that's amazing. Like, uh, you know, it's it's wonderful to see, you know, your journey and stuff. And I just, I, I wanted to know what's your um, experience uh, with Indigenous men? And, you know, uh, the reason why we're, we're doing this um, is because there's a lack of programming um, for Indigenous men that we've seen. And if it is there, it's not really something that's, um, you know, promoted. A lot of, lot of uh, Indigenous men men don't know that there's programs out there those type of things and so i'm just uh wondering what is your experience growing up with indigenous men and you know we we hear a lot of words like toxic masculinity and all those type of things so what's what's your uh experience been well i've never dated one so i'm just kidding um but, and no, I've, 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 I've never i've I can't, to my sisters out there, I cannot, I can't really, because I'm like, yo, I never, like, I was at the powwow waiting for someone to put a blanket on me, and that never happened, so I don't, I don't know, I can't relate with you. However, <laughs> away from that, away from that, um, to my, my experience growing up on the reservation, it was definitely a challenge being an openly effeminate, two-spirited person. It was, it was met with so much hostility and vitriol and you can imagine because i think we have all heard on our reservations the language that's used against two-spirited people to really to, to 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 insult them and i'm not immune to that that was very um, much my experience however what i had that was very apparent to me in, in my in my home was a lot of love I, and i i did it took me growing up to realize that when i was young um the 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 faggot were the you know sissy the this this and that you know guys being like oh you want to date me and I was like please you couldn't afford it but I'm just kidding um, <laughs> um, things like that where I was like and you know and it it for a long time as a kid you you ask these questions of like why me why me why me but um, I went to a birthday party when I was a kid once and one of the boys at school who was a, was so bullying to me um, the way his uncle and his father treated him when people didn't think when no one thought they were looking again i can hear they were calling him these names but calling them these names to insult him to put down to make him feel less than i never experienced that at home in fact my grandmother would always say when i'd cry about it she's like i don't even want to hear the words they're using because they don't matter i love you so much those words don't even have power here so don't don't even allow it and for me i didn't realize that i i had such strong love in my home so it didn't i'm, I'm able to go into this world and um, not carry the 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 heavy insidious burden of addiction i'm not able i don't have to carry intense trauma and um from that story though it does give me it, it gave me this perspective coming home about how 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 many of our men have so much damage in their upbringing even when 
they were given all the tools to otherwise be successful in that. It, it, it Words matter and relationships matter. And to a lot of our men, when they're young and they're told, toughen up, be a man. And a lot of that, though, and I understand that, comes from not only the masculine warrior culture that we know, but a lot of it, I think, comes from when I have to think of the fathers that lost their children when they went to residential school. You know, the mothers went and set up camp outside of the camps, but the men, they, us, our men still had to, still had to work, still had to feed, still had to go and harvest, still had to, still had to be our men. But you can imagine over time the erosion of that when no matter how much you put forward as a man, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. And that's something that I see in our men where they, they, they put so much of themselves forward and so much of themselves into something. And it's still not only to the community, but to the outside world. It's not good enough. It's not, it's, it's not enough to be, you need to do more, you need to do better. And so my relationship with our men coming home is, is, one, of, um, is one of very soft concern. And I say soft concern because I feel the men in our communities are already hardenedly concerned, overburdenedly concerned with being a warrior, with being a man, with, with fighting addiction, with, with not getting lost, with surviving in all of this. It's, it is so concerning the overconsumption of, re, of, of reality that men have to face and, and women, but our men, I feel, and something was said really, really poignant to me in 2021 by um, counselor Krista Hunter of the Stony Nakoda Nations, I think specifically Wesley, where she said, um, our warriors aren't only wounded, our warriors are lost. And, and, and they're, they're so lost that the, the generation of warriors after that and the generation of warriors after that and the generation of warriors after that, they're getting lost because we are running out of warriors to raise warriors. And she, and she even said, it's not even about going and learning to, to learning to, but like, what does it mean to be a warrior? What is that spirit? What is that culture? How do you do that? You know, we want our kids to go out and explore the world, we want them to get lost in it. And that, that idea of of lost, of loss, of 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 looking, of discovery, you know, those are those are things that our, our warriors didn't have, as far as I know, that vocabulary and language of loss and lost, unless there was a passing, which is you go home to creator. You're not lost. You know, you always have a home. But as we continue to grow in our communities and our men continue to father children and attempt to build our communities up to the next level, um, there's a certain sense to me of, of, um, of missteps, of, of not necessarily knowing. And another thing that I think is really pervasive in, in just masculine culture, and this is like Jewish, Asian, Japanese, like doesn't matter. Masculine culture is don't ask, figure it out. Whereas I always Again, there's no such thing as a dumb question. Ask. Like, yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't want to send you out into the sweet grass field and you come back with fucking blades of grass. Like, no, oh sorry, I swore. <laughs> I don't know, you know. I always swear. Like, I don't want to send you down to the river and say, Oh, can you go get us some mint for a, a you know a, a pipe ceremony? And someone's like comes back and I'm like, Okay, well those willows aren't gonna work. Why didn't you ask the question? <laughs> so you know, things like that where I'm like just communicating and asking questions so that we're not perpetually lost, I think is something that we, um, we need, need to discover again. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, 
uh, Trent was just making sure our mics were were good. <laughs> no, all good. Always, always technical. No, that's uh, you know I I totally agree, and uh, you know that's why we're we're building a safe a safe space here for men to be able to have these conversations, and you know I think that it's time for us to you know build those spaces for each other. We can't um, really depend on our women to. Um, to create those spaces for us. I think it's, it's important for us as men to um, create those spaces for each other. So, you know, with all the work that you're doing, I think it's, it's amazing. And, you know, um, you know, when, what's, what's the difference between, you know, when you're, you're doing like stand up comedy um, to compare to what you're doing now, like with, with the, with all your different positions, you know, like what has been the difference? Like, you know, in, in all of that. And how have you, um, I guess, like uh, brought some of your traditions into those situations or have you? Mm, not so the difference for the first question, um, the difference is honestly just the seriousness of tone. So like when I'm doing the work I'm doing in justice, I, I, I honestly, it is not about me. It, it has nothing to do with me. I am not, the, I am just a conduit to get all of our people to the next level of where they're all trying to get to and where I think we rightfully have a deserving place. Whereas for comedy and fashion, that's, that's all about me. That's a, that's a, that's a culture. It's a, it's a, it's a celebration. It's a making fun of, um, it's a, it's a lighthearted poke at, um, so it, it really depends again on on the aspects of what I'm looking at and, and and how you're showing up. You know, one of the things that I learned really really early on was you got to show up, and that doesn't just mean showing up and sitting your butt down. You know, show up. You got to be prepared. You got to understand. You got to and and, it, and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you really just do have to show up and listen. Um, as far as traditions, I actually don't. I don't bring. I. I don't bring a lot of traditions into what I do. I say that because I work heavily with white people. Um, mm. And when you work heavily with white people or with any people, um, they're very quick to, to see the gleams of the culture and to, and to be sort of... Um, uh, and and sort of be blinded by that. And I say blinded because oftentimes when I'm, I just came back from AFN Ottawa, um, and I didn't actually attend a lot of the AFN because I was sitting in Parliament with some ministers and some very high level individuals in federal government, where I didn't have a lot of traditional background other than the the, the two spirited suits in a nation First Nation person that I am. And when I'm sitting in there. When I'm sitting with the Treasury, when I'm sitting at question period in in the West Blo in the, the House of Commons, those high-level people, they're not they're not necessarily interested in that. They're interested in the function of the government and the function of society and how that pushes forward and the bottom line dollars of it. And that's where I do obviously think of my traditions, but I don't bring it there. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of my traditions. I, I was actually just saying to a friend, you know, I'm not a I'm not a great hunter, and I don't have patience to pick berries. But if you need sweetgrass, mint, sage, if you need medicines, I love doing that. I love doing that because that to me is that you know you don't. It, I, I feel like for berries, I'm like, can I just shake this tree and put it onto the bucket? Like I don't really want to. <laughs> don't want to be. 
<laughs> like I'm just, and I also like am not someone who wants to sit there and eat the berries. Whereas with sage and with sweetgrass, it's such a cathartic and moving experience. Um, but I keep those things very close to the people that I think those are meant for. For instance, if I have a gathering of mostly our people, I, I bring sage, I bring Pendletons, I bring scented cam. I make it a space that is representative of something for us. Mm. If I am going to parliament, if I am sitting with predominantly white people from government agencies, that is, that is not, I don't, I don't want any of the, I don't want any of the beauty and the eccentricities, any of the, the luxury of our, of our traditions. I don't want that to be muddled with the fact that we're, here to very very seriously about a next step in a policy in a legislation in a terms and condition about what is not meant for our people and i am very very purposeful in not providing those to those spaces because I, I don't want people to think that this is um again the you know human consciousness i also don't want anyone to ever think when i'm bringing them into a space to talk with me very seriously about governmental societal business um this is not a field trip. If I'm bringing everyone into a room where I have sage, please, it is a field trip. It's a field trip for you to come and to, to be my guest, to come into my tea, to come into my home, and let me let me feed you. Let's let's have a conversation. Let us talk with one another. When I'm speaking with government officials, that is a conversation with very serious intent. And no, you are not. Des you 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 at this moment, not only are you not deserving of my traditions, but you stole them. I'm not bringing mm -hmm. them back to you not bringing them back to you until you until you help me out and pushing the envelope forward together for our societies and if you don't understand that i will work very very distinctly at making at, at making sure you understand what that means oh teddy you were speaking a little bit earlier about um the school on on sutna and you went to school till grade nine and then you went into the city and you also say you came from a very loving home so what was that like for you leaving the reserve and going to school in the city did you experience some kind of culture shock and how did you deal with that yes and no um when i went to the city it happened to be at a time when all of like my girls they all went to the city too in grade nine so i still had my like my same girls where it was like you know we still all rode the bus together and went into the city the biggest thing was like i, I always grew up around our people right so i didn't i never had like a group of white girls and boys be scared of the Indians. That was really strange to me when like, you know, like the white girls were like, oh, the native girls will beat you up. And I'm like, no, they won't, because I'm one of them. <laughs> but also, I was like, girl, I was like, I mean, if they're going to beat you up, it's probably because you did something. Like, what is your experience with an Indian man? I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but for me, it that it wasn't as well a huge culture shock, because I'm always someone, too, who's very curious about the human experience and I, I mean that as in when i went to beaverbrook um in in fairview where i went to junior high school there wasn't a lot of other races of children other than predominantly white and so i didn't i i made friends with a lot of them and they were all really lovely um but in beaverbrook my best friends were uh tacy who's tacy yellowfly who was from sutena um Renell Francis, who was a Jamaican woman, and Eliana Salinas, who was a Chilean girl. And those were like my core group of, you know, we were like the, uh, we were like the, um, the, the United Nations 
Destiny's Child. You know, we were just out there, you know, like First Nations, Jamaican, you know, and, you know, it was, um, it was always really, it was always fascinating to me to see about the human experience. And what's really interesting, too, about humans is when you're open and receptive to them, or at least from my experience, no matter your race, no matter your background, uh, people are very open to sharing their story as long as they as long as they feel like where they're placing it is important. And I, I, I always say everyone's story and what everyone is uh, bringing to the table in their life and in this world is important as long as it's in kind and as long as it's done with some compassion and conscious understanding. And so that was really a, it, it was honestly, I think the first, probably the first seeds that were planted for me to be like, there's something bigger out there, which is why I chose to move to New York city. No, that's amazing. That's amazing. You know, uh, we're talking about, you know, one of the things that has been discussed or has been discussed in, in communities is having a place within side of our our cities, like every major city, uh, for Indigenous people to pray, um, kind of like a church, um, but something like for Indigenous people, where you don't have to go out into the land, you the where it would actually you'd be able to it'd be a facility where you could have sweats and that, and and these things are being developed across like every major every major city across uh you know turtle island and so how important do you think that that is to for us to finally like have a space like you know because like for instance my um my uh my my cousin passed away from fentanyl mm. and she had a lot of uh community members here in in calgary that would have loved to had an awake you know had something for her um, but there was no place to really have that here uh, in, in Alberta. And yeah. uh, she's from uh, Saskatchewan. So we had to, um, you know, take her take her home basically and have that. But it would be really, I think it would be really nice for all of us to have those spaces, you know, for us to be able to have wakes, ceremonies, and, you know, kind of like, you know, uh, all the other races have churches, mosques, those type of things. Well, what's your opinion on that? I'm not only fully in support of that. I I am elated to hear that that's even a even even a thought of possibility. I say that because I'm I'm someone who was raised on Sutina, and I I, I really only know Sutina um, as far as a land. Like I've I moved from Sutina to New York City, and in New York City, you just you just accept that that's not there. Um, however, what's really beautiful about that is it, it offers um it offers that space for hope and it offers that space for solace that i think so many of our people do need in fact i was sitting with um someone who will go on name who works in victim services and they were talking about uh, about a man who had to leave his his lands because it was deemed he was no longer able to reserve um and he had to live in the city with roommates who happened to be asian and it just wasn't a good fit for him and the biggest thing for him, which I don't speak my language and the language I predominantly speak is English. So I, I wouldn't even have a concept of not being able to speak my language. This man did speak his language, but there was no one to speak it to. There, there was no one that he can practice his culture with. And so when the caseworker was telling him, you know, like, um, uh, the, you know, where is there a place for you to practice your culture? 
he and it, it's funny because the way he said it but it's not and he said well culture doesn't this was saturday night he said well culture doesn't open until 9 a.m on monday fucking morning he was talking about the friendship center <laughs> <laughs> because he's not wrong he was yeah i was like oh yeah like not only not only are we monitored and regulated on our lands so heavily and sometimes it feels very heavily so by the administration of chief and council which i can have an understanding of uh, may not have a full agreeance of but an understanding um when we don't have those spaces in the cities that sometimes our people are by circumstance forced to find themselves in yeah if you if you you aren't able to practice and find yourself, as I said before, about being lost in loss. It just perpetuates that. And and so I'm I'm in full support of that. And I hope that um I, I hope that all major cities would be in full support of that. As as what is also again puzzling to me is as you may have heard on the news, they've just accepted into the country, I think it was like four hundred and thirty thousand new immigrants, which I, I totally understand and I am in agreement with. But when I see the problems that are inherently perpetuated and inhibited on our first nations on our reserves i have to think to myself well that's going to require a solution and we we also require a solution and i was just in ottawa i'm like no one yeah. seemed to have a clear resolution except except when i was telling everyone oh i can do this work i can do that work i can do this work it was interesting to see the the people jump to okay good okay good i'm like so what you're saying is that you won't give us all this until we do, until someone like me comes or comes along and does mountains and mountains of work that that are meant for a team of people. You know, feasibility yeah. studies are are meant for a team of people. I I direct a justice protocol table and I I handle a multitude of justice topical issues that I try and find solutions to on a governmental level. Um, I, I don't have a team of people. So you know when I hear about these decisions being made when when on the flip side the story on the news just before that was about the national crisis of our missing and murdered people and about and i hate that they keep saying it an alleged serial killer i'm like no when you kill four people that pretty much that that confirms it you know we don't have to keep yeah. saying alleged but we're yeah. not finding a solution to that in fact calls aren't even being really necessarily like talked about and and i know several ministers both federally and provincially here in Alberta. So I understand the problem of immigration. I understand the global societal issues. What I am lacking to find understanding in is the uh, is the oration of support that is given by high by well-meaning government officials. But when we're all sitting around waiting for the funding or waiting for the for the solutions to happen, we just find ourselves still waiting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Totally, totally. Well, I just want to ask you one more thing, and it's kind of a, uh, one of the questions we've been talking about. Um, you know, I, I put out a uh, documentary this year. It's called They Found Us. And, uh, you know, it's about the search for the unmarked graves on my reserve, George Gordon's First Nation. And so, you know, we were doing a screening and, um, you know, I had some uh, people that were going to, uh, you know, attend, but, uh, you know, there was certain groups that were going to be there that uh, had somebody that was, um, you know, had, I guess, been abusive in some sort mm -hmm. of way to, to one of the other, um, one of the other guests. And so yeah. we're, we're asking, is it possible 
for, you know, somebody that's, you know, perpetrator in a way to be able to, you know, be come back into the community in, in some sort of way. Um, but also the victim um, looking at their safety, you know, and so that's one of the things that we've been talking about, you know, whether it be a woman or a man, you know, somebody that's, you know, done wrong in the community, how do we accept them back in, you know, whether, you know, and, and, and this person, um, you know, had been sober for 10 years and is doing good things in the community, but made, you know, a really, really bad choice, you know, when they were under the influence 10 years ago. But how do we integrate them back into the community while keeping those victims safe? That, see, that for me is, um, it's, it's a double-edged sword. And here's why. Yeah. We, I, I look at everything that I do in justice and everything that I do for our people, I, I first and foremost, without looking at it, without looking at a, even a document, I always ask my grandmother, I always ask the elders first, what, what did we do? What was justice? What, what was this, you know, what was our policing? What was our, what was all of this came? And something that was said to me by an elder when that was brought up was I asked how did how did we handle like people who caused let's say like sexual crimes or crimes of possibility of murder let's say to the far far extent and um one elder did tell me he said well once you leave the safety of the camp back in our tradition you just had we we just we we gave you back to mother we gave you back to the earth and to me that had a connotation of well we maybe banished an individual and either they would have to find a home in another tribe if that was even offered um, or they die. And, and I know that the death sentence is really, really, it, it, that's not what we can prescribe and it's not something that I prescribe or even advocate for. But individuals, if, if they have caused such deleterious crime to an individual, if they cause such a detriment to a family and, and in their addiction, sometimes, sometimes you're 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 never not going to be part of the people, but you may never be part of the camp again. And what's really really unfortunate about that is, you know, one of the things too that we were just talking about in Stony was. Um, we don't need to. We don't need any more forms of punishment, but we do need forms of lessons. You know, when I was a kid, I was never punished, but I was always sent on a willow walk because I had to learn a lesson. <laughs> or at least my dad always said that. It's like you're going to learn a lesson. He wasn't just going to open his hand and hit me. He was like, No, no, no. I, a, I'm too lazy for that. And B, I'm not fucking wrecking my rings. Like you kidding me, kid? Go get a willow. I'll beat you with that. Um, and we, we all did. But in that, there was a lesson to be learned. And I think for people who and, and, and in my family, there are there is an individual who is, for all intents and purposes, not welcome, in, both in the family and in the community, for something that had happened when this person was heavily intoxicated. Um, and and unfortunately, I don't think families should ever, which we have not, give up on an individual. Um, but much like that elder said, sometimes if you've caused such damage in the camp, you, you can't return to the camp. You 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 can interact with, you can, yeah. you're always going to be a first nations person, but that is also going to have to be at the behest of the person who has felt victimized. I say that because I've, 
as an adult recently encountered this myself where I've come home to encounter individuals as, as adults, as fathers who were extremely hurtful to me as a child and, and right into adolescence, um, you know, like throwing basketballs at your head, you know, putting horse manure in your backpack, things of that nature. Nothing ever happened to me um, in, in a way that was uh, of, of a, sexual a crime sexual or violent um but when i confront these people and i see how damaged they were when they were perpetuating that onto me i have to look i have to look at that with uh with a with a circumstance of grace and give them the grace in which i think they are also deserving of so the double-edged sword is that on the one hand circumstances do have punishments and some if the punishment fits the crime that person will have to acquiesce to to take on that responsibility, meaning you may have to sit in that for the rest of your life. On the other hand, I do believe in res not even restorative healing practices, because I'm not even trying to restore anything. I believe in a rejuvenating healing practice. You know, everyone talks about restorative justice, where I'm like, okay, well, that's that's a different component to the victim application of it. And so when I hear about rejuvenative just rejuvenating justice, like how do is it, are there pathways? Are there pathways to healing? Are they there? And but that has to ultimately be decided by whoever has felt like they were the victim. And 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 for the person on the other side who has perpetuated the crime, they hopefully will have to be open, understanding, and consciously objective to what it is that not only they have done, but that that true harm that they have you know and you can and in in those conversations of rejuvenated healing um it'll come across if there was intent because sometimes as as i have talked to so many people who've been a victim of a crime and those who've perpetuated it when you're so traumatized and you're so hurt to the point of you're blacked out drunk your your actions aren't your own your actions are that 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 dark spirit following you and sometimes when i hear these conversations i'm like uh but and and there wasn't any intent of malice there this was just a person who wasn't even conscious or healed or understanding enough in themselves to understand what they were doing um and then and then to the victim you know those the power of forgiveness is so strong and and i mean that and even forgiving your perpetuator, because that's for you ultimately. That's something else I had to learn too as I as I became an adult, and even in talking to victims, a, a forgiveness and apology coming from a victim. That's for that individual. It is not yeah. for the, it's not for the other person to to quell in and say, "Oh, whew, they forgave me." Okay, all's right. No, no, that was for the person. Mm -hmm. You, you Makes still sense. Did, you still you still you still perpetuated in this realm of our existence in this portion of our spirit's lives you've hurt someone and you, and you are going to have to live with that and live with that understanding for the rest of your waking life the, the victims shouldn't and don't have to so as i said it's a it's a double-edged sword that needs to be handled with a lot of objective contention however i do feel it does lend itself into the application of healing that is so desperately needed amongst all of our first nations yeah no it's uh and i agree too it's yeah. definitely a double-edged sword there's no 
um, easy answer to it. And, you know, as we're healing as a community, because right now, I think our women are definitely um, in the pursuit, in the pursuit of healing, getting into circles, and you know, and that's why we're doing this as well. Is it's it's really hard to get a bunch of men in the same room, um, in a circle to talk about their feelings, but just to talk, have, you know, yeah, like just, just to have talk. a conversation, yeah. you know, you like, know. So to have like you know something like this where they can sit you know, at home and, and feel comfortable and being able to watch this, I think, you know, um, you know, it's going back to, you know, creating that space, you know, for each other, but that, uh, you know, it, it is definitely a tough situation. And I would just myself, I would encourage any of those men to, to hopefully keep on their healing journeys mm-hmm. and, you know, keep uh, trying to uh, do positive things in their lives. And, and same thing with, with the victims is, is, uh, you know, forgiveness is a powerful thing, but everyone is their own individual yeah, and, and, and forgive and, at yeah. their own speed. Yeah. Right? Forgive at their own <laughs> speed. For some people, if you can't forgive, that's, that's, I, I, I understand for some people there there cannot, there is not, a forgiveness factor there depending on how severe things have been been depending on how severe the hurt is and for those who aren't necessarily welcome and are, are doing good things in the community this this land all of this land it's it's our land and it's vast and beautiful and amazing and you can do you you can heal yourself through the power of of this place that our ancestors have walked on for millennia and even if you're not at your home fire on your first nation go again go out there and ask those questions go find yourself because if you're if you're so lost that you don't even remember causing someone so much harm that we that you have to be told to leave the camp go find yourself man go find yourself a person you're you're not you're not even able to sit at your home fire because you can't even you probably can't even keep that going Go into go into these lands, you know. Like I say, when the elders used to banish people that commit these heinous crimes, I can only imagine the the people that would have healed themselves enough to try and find their warrior spirit. Man, I can only imagine how tough those those people must have had to have been to handle what this handle what this, this these lands would throw at you, you know. Yeah. And this yeah. is a really, really tough world. I, I lived in New York City for ten years. I lived in the toughest city in the world. It's, it's hard. Doesn't matter how much money, how poor, how it's hard. Go, go and find yourself. The sooner you find yourself, the sooner you can also start forgiving yourself, because mm-hmm. you're gonna have to on that very heavily too for whoever is out there maybe listening and, and hearing that you know, I want to go home. You, you know what? You you are so lost that you perpetuated hurt in your home. That's no longer your home. You can't you can't say that anymore because you you didn't have one in the first place. Mm-hmm. Go find it, and when you find it, find yourself, hug yourself, and start learning to love, respect, and understand that you as yourself, as the warrior, your spirit, that is not replaceable. There's only one spirit gifted to Creator for each one of us. And and what you do with that spirit while you're here in these bodies, that's completely up to you. But I, I implore everyone, find find yourself and then when you find yourself, um, feed the best version of yourself. Don't just feed 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 all the good in you. 
And I always tell people whenever someone's like, oh, they're full of themselves. I'm like, which part of themselves? And I say that because <laughs> I'm, I'm here for it if someone is full of themselves, but they're full of all the best parts of them. If there's an, if there's an amazing dancer out there who's like, yeah, I got it. I got that. What? I'm, you know, yeah, I, I, I'm like, you know what? Yeah, you're, you're full of all the best parts of yourselves because you're nurturing that and you're celebrating that and you're, and you're success. Keep going. Like, I am here for anyone who is full of themselves, but I'm here for it if they're full of the best versions of themselves. And if they feed that version of themselves, for me, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a feast for my soul when I'm around someone who's just, you know, full of all the good in them and you're just you want more of it you know those people so to those people who are don't know where that is go go find it hey and guess and what's even worse is um it may not even be in your home it may not be at your home fire you you know i have to go all the way to new york city to realize the potential of the person that i am i i couldn't have i couldn't have reached the pinnacles of my life if i had hadn't gone out there as scary as it was because I also moved when I didn't have any friends or family in New York City and I didn't know anyone in fact when I landed I told my dad and he was like what are you doing and I was like uh I'm gonna stay anyway again you know <laughs> going out there and getting lost really helped me find myself and you know I really hope that people listening who are who are lost who are hurt who want to go home who have caused harm on one another who have been harmed um I really hope that you take the softness of time to find yourself as well, because that's what it takes, is that, that softness of time. You don't have to be on a schedule for that. It's going to happen. 100%. 100%. You know, thank you so much for thank being you, on Teddy. the uh, podcast today. It's wonderful. We have a uh, gift that we'll be sending to you here. It's uh, It says the Deadly Uncle Podcast. I don't know if it's in. in oh, there, oh, there we go. The Deadly Uncle Podcast. It's one I'm of our hats. So we'll be sending that to you. And thank you so much. We're at the fashion week. Hey, there, there you, you go. go. <laughs> keep up the, uh, keep up the wonderful work that you're doing. Yes. And always remember to take care of yourself too. Thank you. Thank you. You boys too. And I'll see you. I'll see you at the powwow. All right. Hi, hi. Hi, hi. You're listening to the deadly uncle podcast, a safe space for deadly uncle conversations.